0: All right, guys, you are Locked On Falcons. I am your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am talking with Locked On Patriots host and Inside the Pylon contributor Mark Schofield about the top three consensus quarterbacks in this 2018 draft class. That is, of course, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, and Baker Mayfield. And we're going to go deep inside these top three quarterbacks to discuss how they fit in the NFL. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, founder of foulplans.com one of the longest running Falcon websites on the internet. Of course, I'm on Twitter, at FalconS, And I am the host of this Locked On Falcons podcast. This is part two of our in-depth 2018 quarterback series. We had Mark on yesterday to discuss Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. We also talked a little bit about Kurt Bankert as a possible Falcons day three target at the quarterback position. But today we're going to be breaking down the top three consensus guys in Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Mark.
1: All right, buddy. Great to be back with you. I hope we've cleared up the Julio Jones rumors. (laughs) That was what we were worried about the other day, but I hope we cleared that up by now. I
0: I hope, I hope those things got settled. So um, just as we did at the top of yesterday's show, I want to give for those people what our top five quarterback rankings are. Uh, Bark, I will give you the floor, and then I will come in with my own quarterback rankings. Yep,
1: and the the way I do it, I I have Josh Rosen the top of my board, then Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen rounded up the top five.
0: I got uh, Rosen number one, uh, Darnold number two. Mayfield, slight edge at 3A, I got Jackson at 3B, and then uh, Josh Allen at number 5. And as I explained yesterday, it's not, I think Mayfield is the objectively a better quarterback prospect than Lamar Jackson, but I have a soft spot for the way that Lamar Jackson plays, and if I was an NFL GM, I would prefer Lamar Jackson, but I do think Baker is objectively the better quarterback prospect, so that's why I go 3A and 3B. So, uh, Mark, we are going to talk about these top three guys. It, it's clear that we sort of agree that those guys are the are the three best in this draft. We have a different order on them. Um, let's talk a little bit about the guy that most people this offseason have been taught, thinking was going to be the number one quarterback in the draft. There's been some recent rumors and smoke and whatnot that Josh Allen might be the Browns' number one pick. We'll we'll find out, I guess, in, in another day or two uh, as of this recording. Um, so let's talk about Sam Darnold and sort of why he is been considered really since last season, sort of the prohibitive favorite to be the number one quarterback in this draft.
1: Yeah, and Donald has been such a, sort of an interesting story and evaluation throughout this entire draft process because if you remember back to, you know, the 2017 combine before last year's draft, he's the player that everybody was talking about, you know, ooh, can't wait till Sam Darnold comes out and you're hearing things like, you know suck for Sam and teams basically potentially tanking their season for Sam Darnold and then he comes out and he throws 14 interceptions and you know I, I think a lot of people looked at that Rose Bowl and some of the throws he was making in that game and certainly did some stuff throughout his 2000 you know his 2016-2017 season that made you think okay well he is going to be good someday he is going to be a potentially great quarterback someday but there were still some mistakes. There were still some things that he needs to fix that we're going to get into. But I think, you know, as we get down closer to the draft, people are coming back to the fact that when you look at Sam Darnold, relatively new to the quarterback position, you know, he started playing it when he was a sophomore in high school. He was a linebacker until then, you know, he's relatively young. If he started week one, he'd be the youngest starting quarterback in NFL history by, I think over a hundred days. I think Drew Bledsoe was 21 in 203 days, you know, with Sam Darnold, he'd be 21 in like 93 days. And so, you know, that's relatively young for a quarterback. He'd be the youngest in history. And so there's a sense about him that the upside is huge with him because, unlike some other guys, he's so new to the position, relatively speaking. He's so young. And a lot of the flaws that he has aren't set in stone with him where they might be with other guys. Like, you know, how long have we been talking about Blake Bortles and his mechanics? And he's still working on them. And so you don't have an issue like that with them. Even though Donald has some mechanical flaws, it's much more likely that they could get worked out. And so I think when you put that together, the fact that he does do some things that are pretty impressive from a talent perspective, he does make some throws with anticipation, and that stands out, especially when you're talking about quarterbacks in the college game. Not a lot of them do that. I think you look at the upside. You look at what he could become, and you look at the increase the likelihood that he could get there as opposed to, say, a Josh Allen, and that makes you think he could go first overall.
0: Yeah, it's interesting with Sam Darnold, and he's a guy that, like, watching him, I do see, you know, when it's funny because you hear the constant sort of discussion of upside with a guy like Josh Allen, um, and I think that's just purely looking at, like, size and arm strength and athleticism sort of on paper, but I do think, Sam Darnold, you see the flashes of sort of that ability, of that, like, legitimate upside that I think you know, is sort of more of the nuanced mental aspect of playing the quarterback position. You do see, you know, you see the uh, an arm, you see the athleticism, but you see sort of him play with better timing, decision making. Obviously, that was a concern this past year with some of the the turnovers that he had. But you you see a lot of it, and given his youth, given his inexperience, it's certainly from my perspective, it's understandable why NFL teams are are willing to bet on his developmental potential. Uh, you know, one of the things that was said about Sam Darnold when he when he decided to come out was a lot of people thought he needed another year of college, um, and certainly I do I do think that those concerns were valid. But I do also understand that you know he's not going to probably get better coaching at USC next season than he would you would hope. Uh, depending, you know, certainly people would question whether the Browns are necessarily uh, top shelf coaching, but um, you know, you would assume that any NFL coaching staff would probably give him better coaching and development this upcoming 2018 season than he would probably get at USC. So, um, he is one of those guys that I I do understand why there is intrigue and and certainly even though I don't think he's the best quarterback in this draft, I wouldn't begrudge the Browns or any other team. Picking in that situation to use their number one pick on him and bet on his uh, potential.
1: Yeah. And I think that's pretty much what it comes down to is that, you know, how confident are you in whichever quarterback you take in reaching the potential, reaching the quarterback they could become? And I think when you look at, you know, the top five and people could differ on their levels of confidence, but, you know, you'd probably have Darnold near the top of that list. And so I I think when you're looking at a situation where you've got a team where you might not have to play them right away like Cleveland, you know, you can probably let them sit for a little bit because you do have Tyrod Taylor, but it gives them time to sort of develop and learn. And maybe it's not a bad thing to let a guy who might be the youngest quarterback ever to play, let him get a couple of games or even an entire season under his belt before he plays. I think he could reach that potential in that situation. And even then, you know, we talked a little bit in, in the previous show about Josh Allen being thrown to the Wolves early and how that might ruin him. I think you can make the case that if Darnold goes to Cleveland and he is forced to play early, that he does enough at the quarterback position where he could play through that and come out the other side and not be a ruined rookie quarterback. I'm more confident in Darnold in that situation than it would be Josh Allen. And I think that sort of speaks to you know what he has as a quarterback and the potential he has as well as the mental toughness to get through a situation like that.
0: Yeah, one of the things that stood out to me with Darnold was sort of his ability, um, maybe thrive is, I don't know, maybe that's not the right word, but he does seem to thrive a little bit off structure. Um, yeah. And some of the best plays that he makes that sort of make you stand up and go, oh, wow. That like there was four bodies around him and he managed to fit that pass in there to Deontay Burnett over the middle. How did he do that? Um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you feel like you know, off-structure could be a a term for sort of the adversity that most quarterbacks tend to face when they uh, play in Cleveland. And you do wonder if, like, he's better suited because he's going to have to deal with some of that potential adversity and his ability to sort of handle, you know, those sort of off-structure plays. You know, I know it's not necessarily the exact same, but it does give you a little bit more confidence that if he is thrown to the wolves, as you say, Early in his career, he'll be able to find ways to navigate through that better than most quarterbacks, particularly certainly most quarterbacks at his age.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point. And, you know, not to just keep making these Josh Allen type of comparisons, but, you know, it always looked to me like Sam Darnold had a, a decent enough plan B or plan C when he was sort of forced out of the pocket and off structure. Whereas you watch Josh Allen, it seemed like, you know, his plan B was always I'm going to roll to the right and throw the ball as hard as I can, as far as I can. You know, that was always his plan B. And sometimes, yeah, to his credit, it worked. And then other times, it didn't work at all. And so you wonder when you look at that as opposed to a Sam Darnold who can make some impressive throws. I mean, one of the better throws I saw him make was a play where he was forced to his right and then threaded the needle in the end zone against Texas for a touchdown. And that's a throw that... You know, a lot of quarterbacks aren't making that one. And so I think that's a great point about him. You know, he sort of has that ability to sort of play in and out of structures, you know, both fairly well. Whereas, you know, with Josh Allen, it's more of a 50-50 proposition when he gets out of the pocket.
0: And and looking at Sam Darnold, I I feel like, you know, the the comparisons sort of that popped in my head is like his floor to me is sort of what bad Eli Manning is, you know, which is a guy that turns the ball over a lot makes some very questionable decisions from time to time, but you do know, you know, every now and then he'll 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 make some throws that is going to put you in the game. And I think his ceiling, you know, maybe good Eli, like twenty eleven Eli, is probably the, the probably the only really good outstanding Eli um, that we've seen. But maybe another good comparison is a former USC quarterback, maybe a guy like Carson Palmer when sort of he had his MVP caliber season. A couple of years ago like I feel like that's sort of where Sam Darnold could potentially be and, and unlike those two guys who were though that season was sort of their one sort of peak year in their careers you're hoping that if you're taking Sam Darnold number one he can give you that type of production year in and year out what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah no I I think that's you know a really good sort of comparison for him I, I mean I think you know Darnold's floor is probably pretty good You know, because even though he has these sort of flaws to him right now, whether it's, you know, the long loopy release that he has, where that's the lower body weaknesses and, you know, the the problems that he has there, and sometimes he steps in the bucket, sometimes he opens up that hip too far. You know, he still plays fairly well and, you know, he's able to work through those situations and still can make some very impressive throws. And so, yeah, I, I think with where he is right now, with where he's coming from, I think you look at Sam Darnold and there's a potential for him to easily surpass the floor that he has, which is you know, you know the Eli Manning comparison he sort of made, and get well beyond that as a quarterback.
0: Yeah. Okay, we got more to touch upon with Josh Rosen and Baker Mayfield, but I want to plug the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast with John Ledger and Trevor Sikkim. Of course, they are covering the draft wall-to-wall every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay, let's talk about um, Baker Mayfield. We'll save the best for last, and that's Josh Rosen. Um, Baker Mayfield's interesting. Obviously, most of the issues and questions that have been surrounding him, sort of his attitude, is he too cocky? And it's interesting to me, like, he gets constantly compared to Johnny Manziel. I think that's a silly comparison. I understand why people make it, because, you know, people are for the the low-hanging fruit and the lazy comparisons and, you know, the gestures on the field – you know, we haven't seen a, a top-rated quarterback gesture to the sideline or to opposing teams the way that Mayfield did in that Kansas game, like since Johnny Manziel. But I do think one of the core difference, at least from my perspective, with Mayfield and, and Manziel was Manziel. We talked about all structured plays with Darnold. Manziel basically lived and died off of off of structure. Like he basically, you know, it was not he was not a pocket quarterback. It was let me get around, let me use my legs, and then make something happen. And it was never the design of the play that really was the highlight of Manziel's career. And I, I feel like that's not really the case of Mayfield. I feel like that's not really where his strength of his game is. Well, he does have the athleticism. He does have the movement to do a little bit of that. But I certainly think he's going to be much more of a guy that lives and, and dies in the pocket at the next level. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think what's been interesting with Bigger Mayfield is that you know there are certainly times when he – seeks out chaos this is kind of the way i've put it you know because he does fare very well when he's in off structure chaotic type of situations but there were times you could see with him there he almost invited it where he had an open receiver but he didn't quite pull the trigger because he wanted to do something else he wanted to sort of create a little bit rather than you know play within the structure of the offense but that being said There were also a lot of times on film watching him where he's right there in the pocket, making throws from the pocket, making reads from the pocket. And, you know, we talked about sort of the developmental strides in Lamar Jackson in the previous show. You saw similar developmental strides with Baker Mayfield in terms of anticipation and attacking throwing windows and attacking sort of between the hash marks. Things that you know you wouldn't really expect from a, a air raid type quarterback playing in the Big Twelve, where you just expect him to throw, you know, hitch routes, curl routes, and go routes along the sideline, and that's it. Well, that's not who Baker Mayfield is as a quarterback. His sort of ability to attack the intermediate area, to attack between the hash marks, to attack you know between the linebackers when he's throwing shallow routes over the middle. That really stood out watching him. And the other thing about Baker Mayfield is, you know, I mentioned the sideline gestures and things like that. You know, I, I've described it as this Baker Mayfield wants to beat you, yeah, but he doesn't want to just beat you. He wants to cut your throat and watch you die. Like, that's the way he approaches playing football. And, you know, our good friend Charles McDonald on Twitter a week or so ago, maybe two weeks ago, in reacting to a video somebody had of Baker Mayfield. Oklahoma scores like a 93 yard touchdown run on a handoff and Baker Mayfield almost beats the running back down to the opposite goal line. And he's celebrated like a madman the entire way. And Charles quote tweeted and said, Baker's going to be good because he's insane. And that's who he is. He's insane. But sometimes the great ones are a little bit insane. And, you know, Baker's always going to be a double walk on. That's who he is. That's who he will be for the rest of his life. How quickly until, you know, How quick into a conversation when you meet Tom Brady does he bring up the fact he was picked 199? I mean look at Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech. Like sometimes the great ones have this sort of insane streak to them. And I'm not saying that Baker Mayfield sitting here right now is going to be a Hall of Fame type player. But the insane ones usually have that trait. You know, the Hall of Fame ones usually have that sort of insanity to them. And I think the potential is there, especially when you talk about a guy that, listen, he's probably going to hear this podcast and screenshot it because we have him as quarterback too (laughs) because that's what he's doing. And so, again, you put that all together and I'm not betting against this kid because he can run an NFL offense. He can run an NFL offense early. He's going to have that sort of chip on his shoulder until the day he retires. And so, yeah, I'm – The only reason why he's not my quarterback, one, is I like Josh Rosen a little bit more. That's it.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah, you know, I think you're right. I think if you're betting on Baker Mayfield, and I I don't begrudge anybody who who is, um, you're betting on basically that competitiveness, that sort of chip on his shoulder that is going to propel him from where he is today to what he is going to be Three, five, seven, ten years from now, which is the case with all the great quarterbacks, none of those guys are the same guys that they were in college. You know, you look at a Tom Brady, you look at a Matt Ryan, you look at a Drew Brees. And I think, you know, Drew Brees is the common, for those people that really like Baker, Drew Brees is a common comparison that a lot of people use. And you sort of saw Drew Brees' trajectory in the NFL. Um, as an undersized quarterback that didn't have a, this big cannon arm and sort of had a rocky start to his career. And then that led the Chargers to draft Phillip Rivers because they were prepared to move on from Drew Brees. Then he sort of turned that into two outstanding seasons, and then he got hurt, and then he landed in New Orleans and th- became a Hall of Fame quarterback. And obviously, you know, the team that drafts Baker doesn't necessarily want to see uh, him walk in, in year six. But I do think it's understandable why people sort of are betting on Baker to sort of have a comparable trajectory in his career that where he is going to be five years from now or and beyond is going to be so much further along than where he is today, simply because he does have that competitiveness, that insanity that lives, breathes and eats and sleeps football to the point that he's going to, you know, be screenshotting this podcast and saying how right. did you put me three a um and and act like Lamar Jackson is is comparable to me Aaron Freeman I hate you for the rest of my life and I'm going to throw forty touchdowns against the Falcons and and that's the type of guy he is and I and certainly I am a huge fan of that but my my, my I guess for me my concerns with Baker is I do think the height is a, is a concern for me and I was talking to Ted Nguyen, our good buddy the other day about defensive tackles and saying, okay, you know, people having the stigma against short defensive tackle doesn't make that much sense because of the position they play in where it's a low man win sorts of situation. So being short, isn't necessarily a disadvantage, but I do think the height is a disadvantage with the quarterback, particularly when it comes to seeing those windows throwing from the pocket. You just don't see that many guys outside of Drew Brees outside of Case Keenum this past year, but how long did it take Case Keenum to get to that level? You you know Russell Wilson, and I look at guys like Wilson and Vic and the guys that have been successful, it does seem like those guys, because they're not necessarily able to sit in the pocket and see the full field, their ability to sort of win off structure and create with their legs is advantageous for them because they can sort of get outside the pocket. I remember many, many years ago when, when Doug Flutie was playing for the Bills, that was sort of how he lived and died. Um, as, as their starter um, in the NFL. And so I do wonder because if Baker is going to be able to do that, because I just remember watching, it's probably the Georgia game. Maybe it stands out a little bit too much in my eyes, but in the second half of that game, when Georgia was able to dial up and start getting some pressure on him, I saw some issues taking a couple of sacks, not being able to avoid that pressure, being a little bit off on some throws and decision-making. And I do wonder if he goes to the wrong situation where he's playing behind a porous offensive line, despite sort of his competitiveness, is he going to be more of a Case Keenum type of starter, which I think the good version of Case, not necessarily the previous version, the Rams version of Case Keenum, but the Vikings version of Case Keenum, um, as opposed to, you know, a Drew Brees light type of quarterback. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's certainly a concern with him and, you know, you know, Baker's approach to it has been, you know, I was thrown behind Orlando Brown, who's six eight, and didn't really have any problems throwing over him. Now, that's one thing at Oklahoma. It's another thing in the National Football League. But to Baker's credit, he's always been very adept at sort of sliding and finding those throwing lanes to sort of, you know, put him in a situation where he's not going to be, you know, facing tipped passes and things like that. Now, part of the reason that Baker's going to be an interesting player to watch as the rest of this, you know, draft season and the draft itself unfolds is I think he's not as scheme diverse as Josh Rosen. That's another reason why I sort of give the nod to Rosen over Baker's, because I think there are some offenses that you know, Josh Rosen can run that Baker might not be able to run or at least not be able to run as well. I think he is somebody that's gonna need sort of the right fit. You know, I look at what the Jets did last year you know, sort of that hybrid West Coast air raid type of offense. And I think that would be a good fit for him, which has a lot of people wondering about the Jets this year, if their offense looks somewhat similar to that, even though Bates is more of a traditional West Coast boot action guy, which I still think would be a good fit for for Baker Mayfield. But, you know, that, that fit for him is going to be somewhat critical. And it's important for all of these guys, but it's going to be more critical for Baker because, you know, he could run a West Coast system, a pure West Coast system. Yeah, sure. I think he's going to need to be, you know, involved in some more stuff off, you know, off structure, off platform, getting him on the move a little bit. I think that would be a good thing for him. And then, you know, I, I you could run a vertical offense with him, but it's probably not the best sort of skill set for him. And so, yeah, the the fit with him is going to be crucial. I think the fit with the Jets makes a ton of sense. Um, that's why I think so many people keep coming back to the Jets at three. Now we're hearing but he's maybe in play at one who knows, but I still think, yeah, I mean, the fit for him is going to be pivotal. And, you know, where he ends up landing is going to tell us a lot about, you know, how early and how easy the transition is going to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, my issue, my hang up with Baker is there just hasn't been that many short quarterbacks that have been successful in the NFL.
1: Yeah. I mean... And we talked about a little bit yesterday is this is the exception, right? Yeah. You know, and when you come down to it, you're looking at a guy with Josh Allen, a guy, Baker Mayfield, you know, you, maybe you make the safe pick because numbers tell you there haven't been that many quarterbacks at six feet that pan out a lot more of them are taller Now, not, not a lot of you know six five quarterbacks either. I mean, you're usually seeing like six four, six three. But again, when you come down to it, it's probably safer to say, look, while we were worried about a six foot quarterback in the National Football League, not a lot of them out there. And yeah, there's Drew Brees. Yeah, there's Russell Wilson. But they always say, scout the you know don't scout the exception. You know, scout the rule. Yeah. And Alan Moore fits the rule. I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know my my thing with Baker, I do think he's probably going to be one of those exceptions. I just my concern is where does he fall on that spectrum? I feel like, you know, one in the spectrum, his floor is 2017 Case Keenum. His ceiling is obviously Drew Brees, which is, you know, ridiculously high ceiling, Hall of Famer type of quarterback. And at this point in time, I feel like because of my concerns with the height, I do feel like it probably skews a little bit closer to Case Keenum on that spectrum. But certainly Baker's a guy that, you know, if anybody's, you know, this was something that was said about Tebow back in the day was like, oh, if anybody's going to prove you wrong, it's going to be Tim Tebow. But I feel like if anybody's going to prove me wrong, I, I do think Baker Mayfield fits more of that description than a guy like Tim Tebow. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. So uh, we're going to keep on talking, but because I got Mark here, i got to plug Locked On Patriots. Go check it out. I know you guys, Falcon fans, aren't necessarily fans of Patriots, but Mark does a lot of great content besides the Patriots, as well, in addition to the Patriots, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So let's wrap things up by talking about QB1, Josh Rosen. Um, I will just say Josh Rosen to me is reminds me so much of Matt Ryan when he came out and it has blinded me to any of his flaws. I think, you know, maybe the durability is a concern, certainly. You know, Matt Ryan has been missed maybe two games in in 10 years in the NFL, and I do wonder if if Josh Rosen is going to have that type of durability that you kind of need to be one of the upper-tier quarterbacks in this league. Um, I think that's a legitimate question mark, but everything else to me seems so much about Matt Ryan. and When we talked about with Baker Mayfield, sort of his projection – uh, you know, where he's going to be five years from now, I feel like Josh Rosen has sort of the mental makeup like a Matt Ryan, like a Drew Brees, like uh, a Tom Brady, all these sort of top tier quarterbacks that, you know, even though he may not be the most physically gifted, he's going to be the type of quarterback because of those limited physical gifts. And we see that with Matt Ryan, he's going to have to win from the neck up. We see that with Tom Brady as well. Uh, and I think he has, the tools and and has shown so far that he has what it takes to do that. And that's going to allow him his potential ceiling to be a lot higher than some of these other guys that may be quote unquote more talented than him. Um, But I will concede the floor and and allow you to discuss why you think Josh Rosen is the best quarterback in this draft.
1: Well, for a number of reasons, Aaron, first of all, when you look at Josh Rosen, you're getting sort of the complete quarterback. You're getting – guy that's very scheme diverse he can come in and he can give you a vertical offense he can give you a Ern perkins time and a rhythm offense he can give you a west coast offense he's basically plug and play in that sense he has the ability to sort of make those time and those rhythm those anticipation throws stuff that a lot of other quarterbacks aren't doing in this class he can you know throw the velocity to all levels he's an accurate you know both general accuracy as well as precise ball placement does that extremely well one of the major knocks on him is that oh he's doesn't have the, you know, ability to create off structure, I say a Baker Mayfield or certainly not of a Mark Jackson. He's not as athletic as those guys. But I think, you know, when you sort of watch him, you see the footwork. You see his ability and to draw upon the elite tennis player that he was in high school to sort of become, you know, the guy that can evade and click and climb and do the things similar to Tom Brady where, you know, he's not gonna beat a defensive ed to the edge end to the edge and outrun them but he's going to climb the pocket he's going to step around them he's going to create space to get off throws very quick processor of information can make full field reads one two three four receivers come back to the first guy and get the ball out where he's very advanced in that aspect of play in the position, and so to me, he's sort of the cleanest on the field quarterback in this class. There aren't, you know, that many things that they really have to fix from a play in the position standpoint. Extremely clean, crisp, mechanically nice. You know, three quarter delivery. You know, throws in rhythm. You know, ball comes out quickly. Just does all that stuff extremely, extremely well. Defense can rotate and do things schematically in the secondary to rotate the coverage of the snap and it doesn't fool him most of the time. Most of the time he's quick to diagnose the changes and make the right decision with the football. All the concerns with him are basically off the field. There's, you know, the injury history, which is is a concern. You have the concussion history. You have the shoulder injury. So that's something that the medicals will have to check out. That he's getting these sort of red flags that he's a millennial. He's maybe too smart. He has interests away from the game. And, you know, that just all sounds kind of silly to me. I mean, don't you want your quarterback to sort of question why? Don't you want your quarterback to have a deeper understanding of why against the cover two look, you're throwing the skinny post first, you know? You want him to realize and have a deeper understanding for the concepts. I mean, Josh McDaniels always says the same thing about Tom Brady, that he's sometimes hard to coach because he wants to know why. And I think that's a good thing for a quarterback, not a bad thing. And, you know, you mentioned Matt Ryan, and I'm with you on that. I I think it's a pretty apt comp. And I I look at Josh Rosen, I see somebody that can go on and have, you know, a very long career as a, you know, upper tier quarterback in the National Football League. You know, finally, the crazy thing is, he's going to be the potentially the guy that falls. Which either it's medical related or the fact that he has interests away from the field. It's stunning to me, but that's life in the NFL.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I don't know if you checked it out. I think it was Bleacher Report that it had the the video of Josh Rosen. He was talking with Aaron Rodgers, and it's, yeah. it's fascinating to me sort of we sort of nitpick these quarterbacks and like they all have personality quirks that at the face of it like you don't want in your quarterback but it works for them. like Aaron Rodgers is an a-hole like there's no doubt yeah. about it and it's like that's part of the reason why he fell and it's part of the reason why he's good you know and it's just one of those things where it's like I think with Josh Rosen it is fascinating to me sort of you know like Tom Brady is is probably one of the most abrasive playing personalities out there in the league with how he chews oh, yeah. out guys. But when you win games, no one cares, you know? And it's one of those things where it's like, if you can play and you can win, no one's going to care that Josh Rosen may not be, you know, the cookie cutter face of the franchise type of guy that maybe a, a Matt Ryan is that Matt, Matt Ryan might be a little bit bland for a lot of people's taste and, and whatnot. But like Matt Ryan has that competitive fire. You see it come out on occasion um, and certainly is not necessarily in those moments going to be sort of your, you know, landmark sort of franchise classic quarterback. And I I just, it's, it's fascinating to me sort of how NFL teams still continually talk themselves out of this simply because, okay, this guy doesn't, isn't necessarily, the guy that maybe you want to marry your daughter. I, I don't know. Like, I don't even know if that's the case with Josh Rosen, but it's like, if you can win me a Super Bowl, like I don't care if you, you cheat on my daughter or something like, you know, if I, I don't know, maybe right. that's my perspective, but like, I just, I think it's so weird to me that we're still in, in 2018 and, and we see so many sort of these unconventional personalities. And I don't even know if Josh Rosen that really qualifies for him. I think it's more smoked than than anything really fire related, but I don't know. It just it just it's odd to me that still NFL teams seem to overthink this stuff.
1: Yeah, and especially like especially at the quarterback position, when so much of it is a mental component. I mean, when so much of it goes into knowing offenses inside and out, so you want the guy to have that sort of desire for deeper knowledge. I'd say, yeah. and it just stuns me that you know we're going to look at a kid and think. You know, and I think my favorite criticism out of any quarterback this entire draft class was that oh Josh Rosen is just using football to make money. And it's like, well, don't college kids when they leave like and any college kid, they use their chosen profession to make money. I mean, that's the way the world works. Like how how is that like a knock against the guy? I mean, I guess that he doesn't deeply love the game. If he didn't deeply love the game of football, he'd go play tennis or something I mean he could do those things well or he'd go in a completely different direction but he's trying to make himself the top quarterback and the first overall pick I just I don't know I know we're in silly season now we're in line season and people are going to be saying things about these guys in the hopes that they maybe fall or something I don't know I don't get it with you know the Darius guy stuff I don't get it with the Josh you know Rosen stuff either because it's just the kid is a complete prospect on the field like so what if he seems to have a chip on his shoulder? He seems to be a little bit arrogant. You kind of need that in a quarterback. You know, you've got got to have that belief that the only person on this team that should touch the ball at every single play is me in the center. That's it. That's the list. Like you need a little bit of an ego to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be different if I think if Rosen, as you say, Rosen was not as clean on the field and there was more hangups and there was more issues that could become problematic at the next level. But he, he's just so clean it's just it's hard to find you, you know you're really just basically like he might get hurt like that's really the biggest yeah. negative on him like yeah. which is the case for all of these quarterbacks but it's like well he's been hurt a couple more times than some of these other guys so there, i guess there's a higher probability that he'll get why, hurt in the
1: future why isn't you know josh allen tagged with the same sort of injury concerns because he wrecked his shoulder it seems like nobody's talking about that
0: fair enough yeah yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. So I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll come back on this podcast again, Mark, in a couple of years. And, and if, if Josh Rosen is, you know, tearing up the league, um, We'll sit here and be like, yeah, we we told you guys so. And if he isn't, then we'll be like, yeah, we told you guys that Baker Mayfield was going to be that guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: The the only thing will be if Josh Allen somehow teared up the lead. I I think that's probably an eat the tweet type of situation, right? Probably.
0: Probably. That's fair enough. Yes. Yes.
1: There'll be a lot of us eating that tweet. Yeah.
0: So I I won't feel alone on that one. No. Okay, Mark. I appreciate you coming on and, and talking quarterbacks with me over the last two days. Uh, let the people know where they can find you on Twitter as well as your stuff online.
1: Best place to find me on Twitter is at Mark Schofield. You can find most of my work over at InsideThePylon.com. Also, contributing over to Pro Football Weekly as well. Um, did some quarterback stuff for them. Got one more piece coming out before the draft, looking at whether we see six quarterbacks. In this first round, similar to 1983. Also, you can check out the ITP Draft Guide, itpdraftguide.com. You can use promo code LONFL when you make your purchase. You get $5 off. That was a team effort, over 50 men and women looking at prospects. We graded over 500 players, Looked, you know, submitted over 1,000 reports. So you're getting cross-checks on these guys as well. So it's not just one person's thoughts on a player. And it's not just one person per position. You're getting you know, five, six guys at a position, five, six different men and women looking at a position – so, it's not just me on quarterbacks as well. And so, it's a team effort. We like what we put together. Hopefully, you'll check it out again. com. Use that promo code LONFL when you make your purchase.
0: All right, Mark. I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to talking with you, uh, I don't know, in the future. Uh, you know, at some point, one of these 2019 quarterbacks will, will start to emerge and we can start talking about those guys.
1: Yeah, we can probably do a, a crossover event right after this draft and start talking about the next, you know. 2019 class here in early may right
0: yeah i remember a couple of years ago when the literally the day after the draft people started going down on the hackenberg takes and that yep. that was fascinating to me it was like really we're just not even giving it 12 hours we're just okay we're going we're starting already okay let's... My, my,
1: my favorite thing man the early mock drafts that will drop monday morning after the draft and here's a little trip down memory lane for you some quarterbacks that were mocked First overall or either first round quarterbacks in some of these early mock drafts include, um, obviously Christian Hackenberg was one, but Landry Jones, Mm -hmm. Matt Barkley, Brad Kaya, who was a favorite of mine last year, but Brad Kaya was a top five pick from um, the University of Miami. Um, Even going back way into the ball, Tyler Wilson was one. Um, Yeah, so the early mocks, those are going to be fun.
0: My favorite is, is probably Javon Sneed. Oh, Yes. Yeah, so um, yeah, we'll, we'll see about that one. So uh, maybe Chad Kelly was uh, on, on high up on, on some of those as well. Chad Kelly
1: was high, up, and it's part of those things, though, where you know if you play quarterback at a power five school, like you're going to get mocked in the first round of a way too early draft. That's just the way the world works. Pretty
0: much, that's exactly how it goes. So, Mark, I appreciate it, and, and certainly we'll be talking uh, throughout the year, and uh, certainly. When we talk to the, about the 2019 draft, I'll certainly be chatting with you about next year's quarterbacks.
1: All right, my friend. Always great to be with you, Aaron.
0: All right, man. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. All
1: right. All right. See you.
0: Well, guys, I really do hope you enjoyed um, the last two episodes talking quarterbacks with Mark. Of course, breaking down the top five guys, also looking at maybe one guy that might be on the Falcons' radar and Kurt Bankert. I hope that was worthwhile to you. As I've said numerous times, in the past few days, as well as throughout the offseason, I think the quarterback conversations are the most compelling court conversations involving this draft. How teams are going to view how these quarterbacks are going to go at the top of the draft. And we'll be looking back, as we often are, um, five years from now and saying, ooh, that, was, that wasn't great. Um, you know, we, we could be eating a lot of crow, as, as Mark and I suggested, uh, five years from now. Or we may be crowing from the rooftops talking about, look, this is, this is why NFL teams... This is why you have armchair GMs, because people like us – again, I don't want to speak for Mark, but certainly I'll speak for myself. Like Where we can sit here from afar without having the detailed background information, without talking to coaches, without talking to teammates, without having detailed medical history on these guys, we can just sit there and watch these guys play football and be like, that guy's good. And for whatever reason, in, in a lot of cases, particularly when it comes – more prominent with the quarterback position – NFL teams can't do that, and that's why it allows people like myself to sit here and think that they, you know, can be these armchair GMs and not feel as intimidated as I think a lot of other people feel, where it's like, well, I know what I know, but I'll give the, this team or the Falcons or whoever the team it is you support the benefit of the doubt, and they know what they're doing They're, you know? And generally, I'm I'm for that. Like w- When it comes to the draft, I certainly will give the Falcons the benefit of the doubt most years when it comes to the draft just because it takes so long for these guys to develop. And you never know. And I've been so wrong in past times that I just know it's like, we'll we'll see what time says. And everybody gets a fair shake, even if I don't love the pick. And if I love the pick, it doesn't guarantee that that guy's going to be a success. And it's the same thing with the quarterback position, and I I just I find it fascinating. And we'll see if, if Josh Rosen lives up to the hype, if Baker Mayfield, if Lamar Jackson, if, if Josh Allen, as, as well as Sam Darnold do, and any other quarterbacks that may bubble up to the surface. But uh, who knows? We'll see what happens. But uh, that's it, guys, and tomorrow we will be back with a guest to talk about the Falcons draft and focus primarily on what the Falcons may or may not do in this draft um, basically the things that we've been talking about for what the last two months, three months, and we'll just sort of condense it down into one thirty-minute episode, I guess. So that's the plan. Um, we'll probably do a little bit of a question and answer format. So if you have questions that you want to submit, um, get those submitted in by Wednesday afternoon. Uh, you know, while you're ducking work or, or you know, at your you know, send those in the Twitter. Of course, my Twitter handle is at fans. If it's podcast related, of course, indicate so in the tweet. If it is podcast related, it's just easier to go ahead and send it to Lockdown Falcons. That's the show's Twitter handle. If you prefer to send your messages via Facebook, Locked On Falcons is the Facebook page. Uh, if you prefer email, locked on falcons at mail dot com is the email address. And of course, you can leave a comment on LockedOnFalcons.com as well as com, where the podcast is posted daily again guys appreciate it we'll be back as i've said numerous times if you haven't been uh listening to every episode over the last week or so the plan is post draft friday will be a rapid reaction to night one round one uh saturday will be rapid reaction to uh, round two and three day two of the draft and then sunday you can get the rapid reaction to day three with a little bit of a recap on the entire picture as things have come become a lot more clear. Maybe there will be additional takes because the Falcons do something crazy on on day two or day one of the draft. And then of course, Monday, you will get the true um, overall overview of the entire draft class with the Falcons. And we will follow up in the month of May, with individual episodes devoted to each draft pick, where I hopefully will get somebody that comes on that really has an interesting insight into the player, will generally side on the positive, if you, if guys like a player, and say, oh, I, I really, you know, was a big fan of this guy, even if he's like a six-round pick, will bring on people that can, you know, give the reasons why they like that player, as opposed to, you know, doing what I typically do, and I, re- I reserve the right to nitpick these guys, so I'll I'll, I'll tend to be that guy. But uh, we'll see what happens with the Falcons draft. Um, certainly, I am curious what the Falcons are going to do because I've been saying for a while now that I don't really know what their plan is. It, it seems like there's a little bit of a misdirect. Uh, maybe it's a smokescreen with them saying, "Oh, we, we there's a lot of positions that we really want to target in round one." It's not just focused on one position. Who knows? It seems like when you look at their roster, how could they not be focused on one position? But maybe they, they really do believe that this is a draft where the guys that they can get at pick 58 are every bit as good as the guys. We're talking about D tackles, of course, at, at pick 26. And certainly that'll be something that we will discuss on tomorrow's episode uh, with uh, my guests. So until then, guys.
1: You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network.